Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. America! A-ten-hat! Addies, welcome to Fearless. The only show bold enough to go where no man has gone before. It's kind of like Jason getting a pap smear. Hi, I'm your thrill sergeant, Uncle Jimmy, and he's the big boss. And if he was on Bonanza, they'd call him the dog horse. Yes, that's right, that's Jason Whitlock. And this is the day that he likes to refer to as TGIF. Thank God it's fried. <laughs> hey man, remember yesterday? Jason thought he was Tupac. Well, today, he thinks he's Snoop Dogg, meaning you need to pay close attention because he's going to be the one that's going to get it fired up this morning. All right, so to start this thing off, let me just say, Houston, we have a problem. And here to explain that, Jason calls him the Korean Cosell. I call him the man that put the K in K-pop. And of course, I'm talking about our guy, Steve Kim. Steve's going to come in here and talk about the Houston Texans firing their head coach and whether or not this is a case of, uh, how can I say this? Uh, don't, don't, don't. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. And another one's gone, and another one's gone. Another one bit the dust. Yo, Tomlin, they're gonna get you too. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right, let me get back to the point. All right, anyway, Steve's gonna come in here and he's gonna preview, uh, he's gonna give a preview of the NFL playoffs. And he's going to tell us truthfully, truthfully, Steve, how much money do you plan on making off the Kansas City Chiefs when they cover this spread with the, with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers? And you know what? You're right, Big Ben, the has-been. There is no need to show up, okay? And then next on the show, we have Mr. DHS himself. Of course, I'm talking about Delano Squires. I call him DHS because every time he comes on the show, Everybody in the comment section says, damn, he's smart. And he's going to be here to talk about this USA Today tweet, justifying pedophilia. What the what? Okay. Also, Fearless Army, you know what? I need y'all to be on your best behavior today. Listen to me. We have company. All right. Joining us today, we have Mr. Gary Rabine. Okay. Now, he may not be a household name right now, but he soon will be because he's running for the governor of Illinois. But more importantly, he's the man that just gave Joe Biden the nutshot herd around the world. That's right, Gary just defeated the president's vax mandate in the court, in the Supreme Court, okay? That's major, all right? So having said all of that, you know what time it is. It's time to hit the likes. It's time to hit the subscribes. It's time to give the man five stars. It's time to give me the dilly dilly if you feel me. Go out and purchase the merch. Put some swag in your bag. Release the doves. Release the sounds. Because here he is, ladies and gentlemen, star of the show, Mr. Snuffleupagus himself, my guy, Jason Whitlock. <laughs> Thank you.
Good job, Jim. And uh, thank you uh, to you all uh, for joining me here on this Friday. Uh, I've got a fire. It's an unscripted fire. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, David Culley, the former head coach of the Houston Texans. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. And we'll talk a little about Bob Arum and, and it, Uncle Jimmy told you what we're going to talk about. I don't need to rehash, but I need to start this fire. And in order to start the fire, I'm going to use some logs from ESPN uh, because David Culley, an African-American coach, uh, fired by the Houston Texans. And Adam Schefter uh, tweeted out yesterday that, you know, we're down pointed out the obvious where we have one black coach in the NFL and therefore, you know, Adam didn't say this, but we all know what the next step is. Like, oh my God, the NFL and their ownership, they are so racist. And how can there only be one, you know, black head coach? And so uh, I want to start with uh, Dominique Foxworth and uh, Sam Acho, I believe, uh, for ESPN. Um, and their discussion about David Culley today. Let, let's start there. Let, let's let these guys warm up the conversation. Nick, how does firing David Culley make the Texans look? Yeah, I mean, I think the start is not a great look, but I think it depends on what they do next. And I try to be as honest and fair as I can be on these issues. So I'd be lying if I say that race does not play some factor in many of the decisions that are made in NFL. I believe that to be the case. But the Cully situation, I think, is slightly different than the Flores situation because I think David Cully took a job last year that, frankly, my guess is no one really wanted. It's now to address Neek's point, which I agree with, right? We can't just look by and say, well, this has nothing to do uh, with race. I think race does play somewhat of an issue in this, and it's hard to argue against it. There's only one black coach in the NFL at this point in time. And yes, there's a lot of mm -hmm. chatter of, man, Brian Flores, he's going to get interviews. And man, Eric Bieniemy is right. going to get interviews. And man, all these black coaches, they are going to be great candidates. They're going to look up in three months from now and see two, maybe three black coaches in the NFL consistently over and over again. And so for me, it's great talk, right? It's all talk and chatter and sounds good, but I want to see results. We and so, again, we're t it's all great talk and chatter and so what, and that's what ESPN uh, has to offer as far as the talk and chatter. There is no substance to anything that Acho or Foxworth had to say. Uh, and this is part of the issue that we have going on in the media, in the sports world, is that the people allowed a platform to talk about these very complex issues often don't have the intellectual heft to pull it off and add anything to the discussion other than, well, <laughs> it's got to be race. There's only one black coach, and the only explanation is racism. And the only explanation for why David Culley got fired is racism. That, 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 it has to play, it's got to be either 5% or it's got to be 50% or maybe it's 100%. There's the, but we must talk about the race thing because that's simple, that's easy, that works over Twitter, and that's what will get me applauded and allow me to have this platform on ESPN or one of these corporate platforms. You must constantly explain everything in racial terms and explain everything as 
boy, these black coaches, they're victims, and David Culley's another victim. I think it was Dominique Foxworth that made the point that uh, the Texans' job was a job no one wanted. That's a retarded statement. And I know we're not supposed to use the word retarded anymore, but it's in the dictionary and it applies here. To think and to argue, no one wanted the Texans job. If we take it literally, it's a really stupid statement. It's just factually incorrect. Now, maybe he didn't mean it literally. And what he was trying to say is, a lot of highly qualified people didn't want the Texans job. Maybe there's a kernel, a small, tiny kernel of truth in that statement. A tiny, but it's not true. There are only 32 NFL head coaching jobs. They pay an enormous amount of money. They're a tremendous opportunity. People would walk, a uh, walk across hot, broken glass to get these NFL head coaching jobs, even the Houston Texans job. Urban Meyer, who had a great reputation coming out of college football as a winner, he took the Jacksonville Jaguars job. So let's talk, it's a stupid, retarded statement to argue no one wanted the Texans job. What the reality is, and what will not be discussed on ESPN by design, by the idiocy of the people talking, being well out over their skis, Dominique Foxworth and Sam Acho uh, need to be standing at a chalkboard diagramming plays and talking about what linebackers and defensive backs should and can do. They're not qualified to talk about what front offices do and what grown people do in, this, in hiring and decision-making positions. They haven't hired anybody. They're not decision-makers. They're well out over their ski. They haven't been in the workforce in a corporate environment long enough in a real way to have any understanding. They're Tremendous athletes that walked off college campuses and walked into the NFL and walked into jobs that paid between three, four hundred thousand to five, six, seven, eight, ten million. That's not the normal development process. That's not the normal process for the overwhelming majority of human beings. They're pampered athletes who don't realize they've been pampered because they have worked hard as athletes, but they've been pampered and they haven't fully intellectually evolved and they haven't been through the work, the proper work process and protocols to understand what happens with decision making at that level. And they don't understand how the constant, constant talk about race, particularly in professional sports, particularly in the sport of football, how the constant talk of race did more to undermine David Culley's success and put him in a very difficult situation than the alleged racism of ownership. 
David, it's not David Cully didn't get the job because no one wanted it. He got the job because they got to the end of the NFL hiring cycle and the media and people like Troy Vincent, who work, who has a high ranking position in the NFL, highest ranking executive, black executive in the NFL, put pressure on the Houston Texans to hire a black coach. And so the Houston Texans a year ago hired someone they really didn't believe in. They did it to play the PR game that the NFL has allowed the idiots on ESPN, the woke idiots on social media to talk them into. Let's play the PR game. If we go an entire hiring cycle without hiring a black coach, we don't want to deal with that drama. I know we hired Robert Salah, but he's not black. He went to the Jets. We need a black coach or the league's going to get crucified. And so the Houston Texans last year took one for the team. They hired a coach, a career assistant, a guy that spent, I believe, 40 some odd years as an assistant coach and promoted him beyond his competence level. They didn't believe in the hire when they made it. They looked at it for a year and said, you know what? This dude doesn't have it, what it takes to be an NFL head coach. And so we gave him a chance. He didn't catch lightning in a bottle. We're gonna move on. And this hiring cycle, we're gonna hire someone we believe in. And so Dominique Foxworth, Acho, they're sitting on TV and they wanna, they're biting their tongue because all the reports, because again, the NFL is caught in this PR game set up by social media, set up by the idiots that ESPN platforms to talk about these issues. And they walk in and they're playing the PR game so they leak out, hey, we're gonna hire uh, Gerard Mayo, black assistant coach with the New England Patriots, or we're gonna hire Brian Flores, the guy, the black coach that just got dumped by the Dolphins. And so that satiates Acho and Dominique Foxworth, and we're gonna hold our tongue. We, we, think, we think David Culley was mistreated because he was black, but, but we're not gonna say so strongly because they may, they may hire a black coach following in behind him. It's all a political PR game. The NFL has been dragged in to playing the corporate public relations, social media, uh, PR. They, they've moved away from reality and doing what they actually want to do. And so David Culley gets canned because they didn't believe in him from the very start. He's not a charismatic guy. He's a lifelong NFL assistant coach. There's nothing wrong with that. The guy had a great career and is having a great career and will probably be hired to be an assistant coach again because he is a good soldier as an assistant coach. The Texans just reached the conclusion after he's not a head coach. Who Maybe he could have developed into one, but again, he's 63.
And so then they look and say, he ain't got it. We're moving on. We want to hire someone that can invigorate this team, inspire these guys. Look, I can't even take a huge dump on the job David Culley did because the times that I watched him, when he knocked off the Tennessee Titans earlier this year, I was halfway impressed. But when you put all this PR pressure on a league and on a team to hire a coach that they don't really believe in, it was dead men walking day one. And Acho Foxworth and all the other race baiters on ESPN and throughout social media, they're the reasons David Culley got a job from people who didn't really believe in him. And the same thing could happen again because everybody keeps throwing out Eric Bieniemy's name. And everybody, oh, Eric Bieniemy's been mistreated, and racism must be the only reason why he hasn't gotten a head coaching job. And the facts are that Eric Bieniemy interviewed, I believe, in Houston last year, and they didn't hire him. It wasn't because he was black. They hired David Culley. He is black. Eric Bieniemy clearly struggles in these interviews. Clearly, he's doing something in these interviews that's turning people off. I believe he's had, I think he's had close to a dozen interviews with different teams over the last two or three years. He can't make the sale. There's a lot of people like that. I'm reminded of one of my favorite episodes of The Sopranos. And I believe it was uh, Junior Soprano had talked Richie uh, April into trying to make the case why Junior should replace Tony or they should whack Tony. And Junior's like, April's not the guy. He couldn't make the sale. Not good enough. He doesn't have that it factor. He doesn't have that charisma. People don't want to line up behind him. That's what happens with a lot of these assistant coaches. They don't have that it factor. They don't command the room in a way that will make a difference. And so a lot of times what, what's going on with ownership is like, can this guy reach these 53 players in my locker room, 75, 80% of them are black, can they reach and motivate them? And what has been happening? It's like there's been tended to be more white coaches that can reach black players, motivate them, hold them accountable than perhaps black coaches. Because black coaches are put in an incredibly awkward position because we continue to play the race card on them. Try being an employer or a decision maker uh, as a black person and try managing black people who come in, I want special treatment because I'm black and we both black. 
and I want to cut corners. And you know what? I can second guess you and I can do what I want to do. And I don't have to pay attention to what you want done. I can half ass it because we black and you're going to give me the hookup. Try walking in those shoes. I tried to explain it as it relates uh, during Donovan McNabb's career as an NFL quarterback, being in a leadership position, and what Terrell Owens did to him as a black quarterback that never happens to a white quarterback. Go find me the black wide receiver other than Antonio Brown here recently, he just tried to pull that BS on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers dumped him. But T.O. trying to demand from Donovan McNabb when they were in Philadelphia together, you need to go in there and, and tell them they need to pay me and give me my money. And he went public with that. Find me where that goes on that a black wide receiver does that to a white quarterback does not happen. Those expectations aren't there. So again, everybody wants to talk about ownership, 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 and what ownership is and isn't doing. And you'll never hear one of these players say, I can remember when, when uh, Keyshawn Johnson was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and threw Tony Dungy under the bus. I was in the locker room questioning uh, Keyshawn Johnson about it. Keyshawn Johnson threatened me. Never forget it. Calling out Tony Dungy. I'm like, wow, this is the kind of support a black coach gets from his black players. Then John Gruden comes in, they win a Super Bowl. John Gruden, uh, embarrassed, emasculated Keyshawn Johnson on the way to that Super Bowl. And Keyshawn had to sit around and wait 15 years later to call John Gruden racist when, when the email comes out about uh, John Gruden and Demora Smith big lips. See, none of this ever gets discussed. Everybody, all these simple-minded idiots, you know, trying to protect their paycheck, never discuss the one. Maybe they're not even aware of it. They're too stupid. No self-awareness. Not really students of the game. But all this stuff is far more complicated than what these guys are letting on and are able or capable of discussing. David Culley got cut loose because they didn't want to hire him in the first place. And he's got that position because these idiots pressure owners to do things they don't want to do. The players in that locker room don't know how to properly support the black coaches that they say they want. They tend to respond better and have more respect for white leadership than they do black leadership. Everybody knows, or a lot of people know this, 
talk about it privately, but when a camera comes on and they're worried about their social media feed, it never gets discussed. How do black employees, players, respond to black leadership? Second guess everything. Expect some kind of special treatment. Not willing to give, not willing to truly be appreciative of the opportunity they've been given and back it up with the kind of consistent effort and performance that shows you actually respect the leadership. None of it ever gets discussed. But that's why we call this show Fearless, and that's why I'm the host of the show, because we're going to talk about it all. Uh, just went a little bit longer than I anticipated. Uh, we're going to roll out uh, to my man Steve Kim in Los Angeles and talk a little bit about the Cully situation, take a look at the NFL games uh, <clears throat> in advance. Uh, Steve? Help me, do, do you think Dave Cully got fired because of racism? No, I don't, and it's interesting. Uh, the irony is without Deshaun Watson, there was no happy ending for David Cully. And, and this is the unknown, untold story about this whole thing, is that the Houston Texans job, or any job with a franchise quarterback, the caliber of Deshaun Watson, is a much better job than without him. And basically, here's a guy that signed a very long-term contract. The franchise did what was expected of a young, bright quarterback by locking him into a long-term deal. And because he didn't get the general manager that he wanted, he begins to boycott the franchise. David Cauley, from what I remember, when he first got hired, and these stories were circulating that Deshaun Watson was unhappy with the selection of the GM and the makeup of the organization, he tried over and over again diplomatically to make amends, have the olive branch with Deshaun Watson and say, hey, I need you, we need you, uh, and I really need you for long-term security. And that, that's the unknown, untold story. Like, Deshaun Watson could have helped out a black coach. He decided not to, and legally, let's be fair, he may have not been able to, but as soon as Deshaun Watson made it clear that under no circumstance am I playing for the Houston Texans, that job was dead on arrival. Steve, you make an excellent point. Thank you so much. Uh, th that, that's certainly something I wanted to cover, needed to cover in terms of Deshaun Watson had an opportunity to help a brother out. <laughs> but we want the McNair family, we want white people to help a brother out. We put no demands on black people to help each other out. And so Deshaun Watson, you're exactly right. If he plays nice with David Culley, David Culley is far more valuable to that franchise and he's probably still the head coach. The previous Jeez. coach, the year before when Deshaun Watson did play, Romeo Cornell. Again, so they're about to hire their third straight or have, have, because Romeo Cornell was the interim, uh, about to have their third straight black coach, but the Houston Texans, I'm sure, is still racist, and Deshaun Watson and his irresponsible behavior 
uh, that damaged this franchise after getting a $150 million contract. This boy couldn't keep his penis in his pocket, couldn't uh, act respectfully uh, w w with, with some uh, Instagram models trying to give him a massage. Uh, and, and no one, you, you won't hear anybody over at ESPN, none of the athletes, anybody, question Deshaun Watson's behavior and what impact it's had on Romeo Cornell, what impact it had on David Culley, and what impact it will have on the future coach. He gets to skate free. He did some irresponsible stuff off the field with a bunch of massage therapists and Instagram models. And, and the Houston Texans organization, which lavished him with money, has to pay the consequences, and no one can call Deshaun Watson out on it because he's black, and everybody's in fear. And if you question him about it, you're a racist. But, but the safe thing to do is just, oh, well, I mean, the Houston Texans, they're racist. They gave this 40-plus-year assistant coach an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL, uh, but they're the racists. Yeah, I, I mean, unlike Johnny Gale, they couldn't rub him the right way. And let's go all the way back. <laughs> I, I think that there was pressure on the McNair family because the original owner who passed away, I remember this couple years ago during the NFL lockout, he made it, uh, I think he m messed up that saying about the inmates running the asylum, people made it into a racial thing. But here's the issue that I have with Deshaun Watson, believing that he had the right to leverage the organization based on his ability and his importance to the organization as a quarterback to, in effect, select the GM. I've been racking my brain about this, whether it's Drew Brees, Tom Brady, or Aaron Rodgers, or anyone else the last 20 years. Um, Jason, I don't recall of any time when a Joe Montana or a Dan Marino could literally tell the owner, I want that guy being the GM. Uh, I, I do understand saying, hey, I'd like to have that running back. If we could draft the left tackle, it would really help me. But to actually tell the owner who I want as my GM, it's unprecedented. It's, e it's even something that all-time great white franchise quarterbacks have never been given that stature. Now, I want to give David Culley a little bit of credit. You know, you take a look at his record compared to the Detroit Lions. They're pretty equal, and Dan Campbell still has a job. But again, like you mentioned, David Culley is at the very tail end of his coaching run, 40 years into this already into his 60s. Look, but I actually think he did a pretty good job of shepherding Davis Mills, who, quite frankly, he might have been the best rookie quarterback alongside Matt Jones. He had pretty solid numbers, and he showed at the very least that he's a competent quarterback that's going to make a living. But, but I look at the rest of the team. You take away Brandon Cooks, maybe Brevin Jordan. I, I don't see a lot of front-end talent. So this is what I found interesting, Jason. And you talk about who's going to be the next coach of this franchise one of the names that i heard and it makes me feel old because i remember him at the university of tennessee gerard mayo i didn't know he was coaching and i i think he fits the bill in a sense that he's a lot younger and maybe the belief is we went to an old guy that couldn't relate to the players as well as gerard mayo who as of six seven years ago was still a national football league player but that's the question then as you bring up jay if the texans go with their third straight blackhead coach what do you say at that point? Well, 
and and I'm I'm not the name of the general manager is escaping me now, but he's from the Patriots organization. Right. So he's quite familiar with Mayo. He's quite familiar with Brian Flores. That's why it makes sense. And maybe Brian Flores, there was talk, speculation, scuttlebutt that part of what Deshaun Watson liked about the Miami Dolphins was Brian Flores. So maybe Flores helps him out or a Hail Mary perhaps with uh, Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure. I want to leave this topic and talk a little bit about these playoff games this weekend because I think there's a really fascinating slate of games, particularly on Saturday. Uh, maybe, maybe Saturday is the best day. Raiders at Bengals, Patriots at Bills. I, I, I don't know who to pick in either one of those games. I guess I would go Bengals-Bills, but I wouldn't be shocked if either one is an upset. Uh, let, let's, let's start there. More likely to pull the upset, the Raiders or the Patriots? That's a tough one. Uh, Jay, I, I disagree. I like the two home teams pretty big here. Uh, the Bengals are at home. The offense led by Joey Football is absolutely rolling, and that's got to feel like a Super Bowl to that city and to that franchise. The Raiders came off of this long, grinding, emotional game. And I get it. It's the playoff. They play one game a week. But I've seen teams that make the playoffs in this dramatic fashion. They exhaust all their emotion, and they're flatter than the plains of Kansas the next week. I like the Bengals pretty big. Now, as it relates to the Bills and the Patriots, about a month and a half ago, Jason, me and you loved the Patriots, but then gravity took over. They came back down to earth. Still been a very good rebuilding season for Bill Belichick. My view is is that when the Bills came into Foxborough and basically manhandled New England on their home field, I thought that was very big psychologically after that one game where they were run into the ground uh, in Rich Stadium. So I like both home teams to actually win by double digits here. Clear victories on Saturday. Mm. All right. So I, I get you like both home teams, and I'm, I'm fine with that. If there is an upset, which game do you see as a potential upset? The it's got to be the Raiders, man. No, I, I think the Raiders, look, the Raiders to me are the worst playoff team. I, I do. I think it's a great story with Richie B. The Philadelphia and, Eagles are in these playoffs, Steve well, Tim. Okay. All, all right, second word. All right, worst <laughs> team in the AFC. Let me clarify that. I don't have the sheets in front of me. But I, I Pittsburgh think, Steelers are no, in are this playoff, yeah, Steve. You know you're right. That's the worst team. And Kansas City is going to blow them out. Let Uncle Jimmy know. That's going to be like a 48-14 to 14 type of thing. Um, but here's the thing with the Bills. On paper, Jason, both sides of the line of scrimmage, People will tell you that really study this, they have the most overall ability. And Josh Allen is what I would consider, if not top three, he's top five or six quarterbacks. And I I was so impressed when they went into New England a couple of weeks ago and he riddled a Belichick defense by being a playmaker. He played with his legs, came off the second and third receiver and actually outletted the ball. I, I think that he really grew that game. That was big. You know, people say regular season games are just regular season games, but some are more important than the other. And if they would have gone into this game not having beat New England two times, home and away, coming into a playoff game, there has to be a little bit of doubt. And so that first game when they ran the ball 38 straight times in a row, you kind of look at that as an anomaly 
given the weather conditions that night. Again, I think Bill Belichick's done an excellent job of developing Matt Jones and a fairly young roster, but I think that season ends on Saturday. Uh, you said a lot there. One thing irritated me. You started out and said, if not top three, how does Josh Allen even get in consideration top three? And I'm not down on Josh Allen, but Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes okay. would right. be one and two. And so that puts him in competition with Brady, Herbert, uh, Herbert. 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 Uh, well, look, puts yeah, him in competition. He's pretty much up to Jay. I have a theory that if you redrafted the NFL right now, let's say the whole, everyone that's on a roster, if you redrafted them and you took into consideration age and trajectory of career, Josh Allen, by most accounts, would probably be a top five players. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, quarterback, you're probably right, because after Brady, I'm trying, you know, you could say Herbert's better, but you, someone could make a compelling argument that Josh Allen better. Uh, I'm struggling I know you're not, after that. Because I know you're not going to mention Dak, right? I know you're not going to no, mention Dak. No, I'm not going to mention Dak Prescott. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, Lamar Jackson, but he had a struggle this year. And so, actually, you make a better point than I thought. Uh, <laughs> Steelers, hold on. I'm trying to say, did you say the Steelers have a shot against the Chiefs? Did you say that None. or no? None. Oh, okay. None. That'd oh, be like you good. going back to Kansas City and not eating any barbecue for two weeks. Forget about it. I actually think they get blown out. I, I, look, the Steelers are a great feel-good story. It took a lot of Ripley's, believe it or not, or Murphy's Law uh, for them to make the playoffs this year. But it almost reminds me of Dan Marino's last game. I remember when they got blown out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was actually the last game for Jimmy Johnson, too, as a Dolphins coach. They lost 62-7. to I remember the week before, they kind of made this late heroic comeback at Seattle during the wild card week. And it was a feel-good story all the way up until the time Fred Taylor was busting out 80-yard runs. I get the sense that's going to be the ending for Big Ben. Uh, Cardinals at the Rams. You, you think that's the toss-up game, huh? You, you're looking at a lot of blowouts. Yeah. Or you're predicting a lot of blowouts, but Cardinals-Rams, that's a tough call for you? Yes, and by the way, I want to make a note of this. I love what the NFL is doing. I, I had no idea that they were going on a Monday night till I saw the previews on NBC during the Charger Raider game. I love the fact that the NFL, which is America's passion, baseball is America's pastime. The NFL is currently the America passion. This is a sport that we love the best. The fact that they're turning these playoff weeks into just week-long or weekend-long television journeys, um, I you know, this is interesting. There's a compelling case to be made for both teams, but the Rams are at home. I expect them to protect SoFi Stadium, or it's a bad look for Sean McVay. I thought it was a bad look last week when they blew a 17-0 lead to the San Francisco 49ers at home. They're the bigger team. They are at home. Kingsbury teams going all the way back to Texas Tech. They don't finish seasons well so I'm going to go with the Rams, but I wouldn't put my life on it. I think I would because I think the Cardinals are overvalued. Mm -hmm. I think they started out the year 
Remember the the Tennessee game, Chandler Jones, five yeah. sacks. I'm not sure if he got another sack the rest of the season. He may only got one or two. And then the Cardinals have uh, tapered off significantly uh, the second half of this season. I, I think they're kind of toast, so I think the Rams win there. All right, let me move into your area of specialty. Bob Arum and Terrence Crawford are, are mm. kind of going at it, and and – Crawford is saying he wasn't properly promoted and that perhaps uh, – did he play the race card on Bob Arum? And I I think uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter or somebody has come out and defended uh, Bob Arum for – you know, he stood with Ali back when no one else would. Uh, Who side you on here, Bob Arum, Terrence Crawford? Well, as it relates to Rashida Ali, that – the grandson of Muhammad Ali, Nico Ali Walsh, is signed with top rank. And it's kind of a novelty act, and he's appeared on the last two or three, or appeared on two or three top rank shows on ESPN and been given a really big push. Here's the interesting thing. Do I believe that Bob Arum did the absolute best job of promoting Terrence Crawford? Probably not, but I also think both Crawford and Arum were victim of a circumstance they could not control. Most of the other marquee welterweights, namely Errol Spence, were on the other side of the street with another organization that doesn't really mix well with top rank. And that's one of the problems with boxing. It's a very fractured, divided sport. And look, I may not get this analogy completely correct, but it's like in the 90s or the late 80s when Ric Flair was with the NWA or the WCW and Hulk Hogan's with the WWE, they were never going to get into the same ring. It's basically the same dynamic. Here's the issue that I have with Terrence Crawford. He knew the divide going into 2018 as he had just started his welterweight run. He was essentially a free agent that could have gone on the other side of the street at PBC, but he took a highly lucrative offer with top rank to be one of their pillars as they got into their exclusive deal with ESPN. Here's the issue. If you take away Canelo Alvarez in the top two or three heavyweights, I think there's an argument to be made based on the listed purses. Terrence Crawford, despite not facing what I would call murderer's row, is one of the top three or four well-paid fighters in the world. In fact, Jason, when you saw me in Vegas about a month ago when he fought Sean Porter, he was guaranteed $6 million for a pay-per-view that may have not broken 150 k in terms of pay-per-view buys. And, and did he play the race card? When there are terms like ex- racial bias thrown in, yes. You're playing the race card. Now, on the flip side, Bob Arum, this, I've known Bob for years. I know him very well. I talk to him often. The great thing about the Bob father is that he'll say anything. The bad part about him is that he'll say anything. And there are times when he has blurted out, I could buy a house in Beverly Hills with the money I've lost on Terrence Crawford fights. It's not a great look. It probably hurts the name, brand, image, and value of your fighter, But with that being said, Terrence Crawford, um, I I know that he's alleging he still owed money. He got paid very, very well. And I just wonder, because his last fight was with Porter. His existing contract is over. And he made it clear, I'm gone. That the PBC recently made a statement, one of their spokespeople, Tim Smith, that we can't do the Errol Spence fight. The money's not there. what both fighters would want, we cannot match. And my question is, is he now looking at the situation saying, wait a minute, 
Uh, I'm a free agent, but the offers aren't rolling in like Alex Rodriguez in 2001. And I'm just wondering if this is a last-ditch effort uh, to kind of get some sort of relevancy. I, I've talked to a few people that have actually read the suit line by line. The word I keep getting back is frivolous and baseless. What, what I think when I hear Terrence Crawford complain about lack of promotion, th- I've never met a talent in any industry that feels like they're properly promoted. Hmm. And I would throw myself in that same bucket. But from every talent I've ever worked with uh, or worked in adjacent in conjunction with, no talent feels properly promoted. Uh, Skip Bayless feels underpromoted. Felt underpromoted at ESPN, feels underpromoted at Fox Sports. Uh, and so from athletes to, I'm sure Denzel Washington, oh man, if they had just promoted X movie better, blah, 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 if they everybody feels, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, it's just what talent complains about promotion everywhere. So it doesn't surprise well, me that Terrence Crawford has that complaint. Jason, here's the thing about Terrence Crawford. I've covered him uh, for most of his career. And during his top-ranked run, which is about a decade long, he's banked about $35 million. So, again, as I like to say, no need to throw him a GoFundMe campaign. But when it comes to promotion, you know, a fighter has to do their part. And I know this for a fact, that he can make interviews very uncomfortable because he's not that great of a personality. He is not all that talkative. Sometimes he can be a very prickly individual in terms of his personality. And I know Top Rank has been frustrated because he has turned down during promotions, and they keep track of this, certain radio spots, television interviews, or other opportunities to talk to the media. Terrence will shun those opportunities and have an opportunity to really tell the audience, hey, this is why you should buy my fight. He's not a warm, cuddly personality. I don't think at times he's always done his part. And I want to make one last point about Top Rank in terms of them being racist. I, I actually looked through their roster out of the last dozen or so young fighters that they have promoted or have signed to their promotional company, about 11 out of the 12 or the 11 out of the 13 are young black fighters like Keyshawn Davis, Kelvin Davis, Troy Isley, uh, Jahai Tucker, men of that nature that have put their career in the hands of Bob Aaron, who, by the way, Bob is very liberal. People do not realize this that he was actually in the Kennedy administration as an attorney general. And also, I don't know if you know this, Jay, but he was brought in as the lone white Jewish guy. He has a great story among all these Nation of Islam guys. Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown said we could trust that guy. So when you look at the history, I, I don't see a bigot. I see a big mouth. I see a guy who may not always be forthright. I, I don't see a racist. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Great job. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, Enjoy the football. Uh, I want to tell you guys about when I heard about PaintYourLife.com. I thought, what a great gift idea for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, or graduations. But I also thought, we're in this world where everybody's taking pictures with their cell phones. And Everybody's posting these digital pictures on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, wherever they're sending them out to their friends. 
and and so what what I'm pictures to me have lost their value. They're too easily accessed. They're not as memorable as they used to be. And that's what I think the value of paintyourlife.com offers. If you want to do something special for someone you care about, if you want to really capture something that could have value and appreciate over time, and something that you and a friend or a family member or your mom, your dad, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, something they can really cherish, paintyourlife.com is the way to go. Look at this. Jimmy and I have worked together and been friends for 20 some odd years. Nothing that we take with our cell phone is ever going to top this. Paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. Right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the words FEARLESS to 64000. That's FEARLESS to 64000. You can... It's very easy. Send them a picture. They're going to come up with an original painting. It's going to be something you and a family member, a friend, a loved one, you and your dog, whatever. You're going to cherish this. This is so much better than something you can snap on your cell phone. This is a tremendous gift. This is a way also, as I talk about a lot of our sponsors, if you want to support the Fearless Army, and you want to support the point of view and the conversations that we have here, you got to support our sponsors. So do something special for yourself. Do something special for a friend. Do something that supports this show, this point of view. People that are trying to move this country a positive direction, a point of view, and a show that's a counterbalance to all the liberal, progressive BS out there. PaintYourLife.com. Let's celebrate the moments together in the most memorable way. All right, Professor D. Delano, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for Professor D, Delano Squires, the smartest man on the show. Time for him to join us. And Delano, you and I uh, paid attention earlier this week to a story that USA Today published uh, that got a lot of backlash over social media. I think they ended up changing the headline. And the story basically was, in my view, beginning the process in the mainstream media of normalizing pedophilia, and that's the pushback uh, they got over social media. And it caught my attention because people get upset with me, but I've been saying it for a solid eight years. I've been telling my friends privately, I was like, hey, in our lifetime, they're gonna legalize pedophilia. And when I started saying this seven, eight years ago, people thought I was crazy and uh, I, I saw the USA Today story as like, this is what I'm talking about. The mainstream media wants to re-explain 
or give us a better understanding. Here's, I think it was something about here's what you may be missing about pedophilia. Mm -hmm. Anyway, how did the story strike you and the pushback that it got? So it, it struck me in largely the same way, Jason. Um, I've seen this as a long-term play for a number of years. And actually, the New York Times ran um, a story on, or a column on, on pedophilia a couple of years ago. It was either 20, it was somewhere between 2014 and 2017, where, again, they tried to do the same thing. They, they took a more sympathetic and nuanced, quote-unquote, view as it relates to pedophilia. Um, I think this story had the same effect. Um, I think part of the pushback to USA Today was how they rolled it out on social media and people grabbed a hold of it. I mean, they just ratioed it into oblivion. And I think that's part of the reason they came back, you know, deleted some of those tweets, took it from behind the paywall and tried to be a little bit more transparent. But, you know, again, the play is always the same. Um, and, and I would say, similar to what you're saying, is that um, pedophilia is probably the, the last car on this social justice train. Um, and what they're going to do, and what they've started to do, is to change language. Even in this a recent column with USA Today, they uh, brought up the term minor attracted persons, which is a term that um, a, a professor formerly at Old Dominion University named, I believe the person's name is Alan Walker, uh, used in a video that went viral on Twitter and, and this person was you know, subsequently fired or resigned. So it's, you, you change the language because the first fight, particularly on the left, is always over the dictionary. It's always over terms and language. Because if a person can control what you say, they can control how you think. So you change the terms. So you go from pedophile to minor attracted person. You uh, try to paint uh, pedophilia as something that's genetic and inborn that people can't really control. Um, you link it to existing movements. As I said, if you think of this as a, as a, as a freight train, um, each car is connected to, to something else unless you're the first car or you're the last car. So if this is the last car, the car in front of it is the larger sort of LGBT movement. So you paint this as just another aspect of you know sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, you, you look to legitimize it and destigmatize it by doing so, and then you demand full acceptance and then threaten people who choose not to accept and continue to criticize uh, by calling them you know, bigots and you know, pedophobes or something to that effect. So the, the, the play is here. I will say this, I think there are a couple complicating factors. One is that unlike the issue of transgenderism, there aren't that many sort of prominent um, black or people of color who are sort of out in the open as pedophiles that they can link this to. Um, and we've talked about this on the show before, right? They're always looking for a black face because if they can wrap whatever it is that they want to wrap in sort of blackness, then that adds an, a layer of protection, you know, from criticism for that particular thing. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest complicated factors. And I, I think the second is that the, the, pub, the public, generally speaking, is still very uncomfortable with the idea of adults um, engaging in sexual conduct with minors. Um, this is part of a, what I would call sort of cultural schizophrenia because 
if we look at it objectively, like the the powers that be, the the elites on the left are totally fine with like drag queen story hour. So they're totally fine with adult males dressing up as women, rolling around on the floor with little kids ages three to eleven in public libraries, teaching them how to twerk and doing all sorts of other crazy stuff with with minors. I just don't think that we've made that leap yet. But I think that's that's you know st- it remains to be seen whether we'll get there. People always ask me, can't always ask me, but it comes up in conversations all LGBTQ plus. They always, mm. what's the plus for? And I get, the plus is pedophilia, trust me. They just haven't told you that. They, they, mm. <laughs> plus means pedophilia, and eventually it's gonna be LGBTQ P plus, because they'll add something on, it'll be dogs mm-hmm. and cats next. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but the plus is pedophilia right now. And, and I know that you and I talked yesterday in terms of the numbers are pretty stark in terms of, I think the registry, 82% maybe of registered pedophiles or whatever are white men. And, and the, the only thing I would say about this, cause trust me, the left has done the research on this. They're way mm-hmm. out ahead of any opponents on this. And, and Shamika and I actually brought it up, or Shamika did in passing, that this week, we, at some point she started talking about how a, a lot of the sexual dysfunction in the black community is actually underreported. Mm-hmm. Because, and and it, it's actually, that's true, and this is where, and I don't, say this in any kind of uh, demeaning or or condescending way, but because you come from a nuclear family and because you have created a nuclear family, you may not be as aware as someone like me who comes from real poverty and a product of divorce and the hood and being in a community dominated by broken up families. And one of the things I figured out as I reached adulthood and just looking back into my childhood and and like where there is a breakup of nuclear families and they're all living in a concentrated area, there is tremendous sexual dysfunction and improper behavior and relationships. And because of the lack of supervision, Mm. it creates a lack of reporting. And a lot of our kids have been violated. And that's why I think you see a lot of distress or unaddressed issues in a lot of people as adults because there was a lot of sexual dysfunction in their childhood. It went unaddressed, unreported, untalked about, and we're dealing with the fallout years later. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, for, for my parents and the environment that they raised, you know, um, myself and my sister in. But I'm very aware just from you know looking around in the communities in which I've lived and just personal experience, knowing people who have dealt with both physical um, and, and sexual abuse. And then honestly, being married to uh, a social worker and and hearing about some of the cases that that she was carrying, 
just adds another layer to it. And as you said, whenever families break up, and, and particularly when, when men are not there in the house, it brings with it a number of problems. Sometimes, and this is not to sort of piggyback on some Tyler Perry cliche, but sometimes one of the most dangerous places for young children is in the home with mom's new boyfriend. Um, I'm not saying that's the case most of the time, but particularly for, for young developing girls, um, that can all, often be a, a very troublesome place for them. And there's, there's just a, a lot of these, a lot of things going on, um, you know, when, when families disintegrate, right? When, when, that, when that watchman is no longer on the tower, when, when dad, um, who is most invested in his children is no longer there, um, there's there all types of things that, that go on for boys and girls. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that, that I, that I and, and you, you know, promote, you know, healthy, intact families and marriage so much is because when these things break down, um, all sorts of things go on. But I, I'll say a couple of things. And, and yes, we, you know, we were texting, we, I, I did bring up sort of the demographics of, you know, the, the pedophilia issue. And I, I want to make a quick point because I think, I think this is important, both on the political left and right, um, there is a way in which we talk about race and crime that I think is terribly unproductive. On the left, the way it goes is, well, anytime you see a disparity, a racial disparity as it relates to crime, that, that's caused by racist policy. This is the Ibram Kendi way of viewing the world, right? So if Kendi sees that um, black people or black men particularly are overrepresented in the prison population, and, and let's say for serious violent crimes, then that's caused by, you know, racist policy. Um, on the right, you have sometimes the tendency, uh, the language is less clear, but I think the idea is there to make it seem as if, again, I'll go back to violent crime, is something that is inherent within, you know, black people. And I, I a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was watching Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens was on, on the show. She was discussing, you know, Daryl Brooks, the, the uh, Waukesha sort of um, the guy charged with, with multiple counts of murder in, in the Waukesha tragedy. And she made the statement that, you know, black Americans are the most murderous group in the country by rate, R-A-T-E. And I remember seeing it in real time and I said, Again, even if you're looking at the data and you say, yes, there's a, there's a large disparity there, that type of language is unproductive. And the reason I say that is because I know well enough that there are disparities across the board as it relates to, to you know, crime statistics. And I highly doubt that Candace Owens, someone who I, who I generally respect, would feel comfortable if someone got on TV and said, 87% of the defendants that were charged with um, commercial sexual exploitation of children, um, and 87% of the, the defendants charged with child pornography, the distribution or production of it, were white males. I doubt she'll feel, she would feel comfortable if someone said, and white men are the most perverted group um, and the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, perverted and, and pedophilic group in the country. Um, so, so for me, I think we should be more careful with our language. I think race as a descriptor of who, demographically speaking, is committing crimes is a lot different than using race as a causal variable. 
these people commit these crimes because they are black or because they are white. I think the latter is very unproductive. Um, and I think it's something that, that people on both sides of the aisle should be more careful about. I think you make a great point. And, and uh, we're going to talk more about this next week. Delano is going to be in town. And I, I want to do I want to get a little deeper into this because uh, this is important stuff. And I certainly agree with your point about uh, Candace Owens. She ain't going to go on TV and say that because she got to go home and answer to a white husband. <laughs> which I'm not knocking or complaining about. I'm just speaking factually. I'm not knocking right. or complaining about But for the grace of God, there go I. All right, uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're going to talk with Gary Rabine, candidate for governor in Illinois, one of the plaintiffs in the vaccine mandate uh, lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll talk to Gary Rabine. Have you made a mess of your life? Been in and out of the penile institution? Maybe you've been violated more than Kamala Harris at a Willie Brown bachelor party. Maybe you even strung out on meth, fentanyl, oxycontin, or crack cocaine. Hi, my name is Benjamin Grump, lead Amalams chaser at the law firm Grump, Jackson, and Shopton. We specialize in turning around the lives, legacies, and reputations of career criminal losers. Perhaps you may be familiar with the work we've done with the likes of George Floyd, Jacob Blake, or how about Rayshard Brooks, just to name a few of our satisfied customers. Ten of millions of Americans are unaware of their right to turn a routine traffic stop into a deadly confrontation that leaves their families flush with cash and turns the deceased into American heroes. Did you know that 99% of Americans make the mistake of actually complying with law enforcement? Huh? You don't ever have to make that mistake again. How, you may ask? I can describe it in three simple words. Anti-hero. The complete legacy makeover from Grump, Jackson, and Sharpton. Our law firm will teach you the tricks of the trade that are sure to escalate your encounter with the police into a financial windfall for your entire surviving family. Anti-Hero will supply you with expired registration tags, illegal window tint, and if you act now, we'll even provide a broken taillight. All the things you need to provoke a traffic stop. But wait, there's more. I will personally train you on the proper methods of cussing at the police, flashing a lethal weapon, and wearing the most menacing cornrows, teardrop tattoos, and throwing up gang signs. Maybe you're even untrained in resisting arrest. We have retained retired mixed martial artist Chuck Liddell He's come on staff to teach takedown moves, rear naked chokes, and a spar, and even round kicks. But that's not all. For a small additional cut, I mean fee, 
Antihero can guarantee a social media campaign that includes say his name tweets from LeBron James, an NFL helmet decal worn by the Steel Curtain, Pittsburgh Steelers, and how about even a congressional defund the police legislation name in your honor? Wait, want a statue honoring your heroic life sacrifice? No problem. How about a 21-night riot salute organized by Antifa and Black Lives Matter? Anti-Hero has you covered, and it can all be yours. Plus, 66.6% of the money we negotiate from the city, you can now rest in power knowing that your death financially benefited your biological mother and estranged father, boosted CNN and MSNBC TV ratings, justified nationwide looting, and most importantly, secured votes for the Democratic Party. Plus, you can rest easy knowing you have helped finish paying our sharpens back taxes and the mortgage on my summer home at Martha's Vineyard. To get your complete legacy makeover, call now at 1-800-ANTI-HERO. That's 1-800-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-O. Call now. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Illinois, one of my favorite states. It sits atop, adjacent somewhere to Indiana. <laughs> and uh, we have a gubernatorial candidate, Gary Rabine, uh, who's going to join us. Gary was one of the plaintiffs in the vaccine mandate lawsuit that reached the Supreme Court and was decided in Gary's favor. Uh, six to three, the main one, uh, lost the, the health care workers or whatever. Anyway, they invalidated uh, President Joe Biden's vaccine mandate across the board for all these businesses. Uh, Gary, a serial entrepreneur in the state of Illinois, I understand why he was involved in this and wanted to get involved, and he's been kind enough to join us on the show. And so, uh, Gary, if you could explain why you decided to be a plaintiff in this lawsuit and what's your take on the decision? Are you happy? Can we put this behind us or will, will there be, need to be more lawsuits and more action involved to maintain the ruling that we saw yesterday? So Jason, hey, thank you first of all for having me on today. And I gotta tell you, you like Illinois being an Indiana guy because we're the place that grow jobs and businesses that you guys then steal from us, okay? <laughs> this is consistent over the last 10, 15 years as we keep doing stupid things that kill jobs and businesses. And that's why I'm running for governor here in Illinois. Um, but I got to tell you, yeah, we, we, we look at, uh, here, here's the deal. I, I, I was one of the founders in a great organization called Job Creators Network about 11, 12 years ago. It was, it was Bernie Marcus's idea. He brought a few, few friends in, a few CEOs to start it with him. I was one of those that, that were, were in the beginning, uh, a board member and still a member today. Um, and that organization's done some great things to, to fight terrible, you know, stupid regulation that kills jobs across America. And uh, this is the granddaddy of them all. Um, you know, I had, uh, when, when Biden was going to be passing down this, you know, President Biden was going to be passing down this law, we knew about it. 
and uh, Alfredo, the CEO, and I had a phone call, and he brought our, our best lawyers in, and and we knew that we were going to go after this because we knew that this was against our, our freedoms in America. It was, and it, there's no way small businesses like ours wanted to be the vaccine police uh, to our to our uh, employees. So explain for our viewers, and maybe it's probably obvious to some of our viewers, but just explain from your perspective why these vaccine mandates would hurt small businesses in particular. Yeah, so Jason, this is gonna affect over 80 million, some people say 100 million uh, uh, employees, right? Um, we, we, we looked at it as about 80 million initially, some people say it's 100 million uh, people across, you know, working people across the country that's affecting um, here. We, we as a business, we have a few hundred teammates on our team, and, and we knew that, you know, we, we know after looking at uh, and, and doing the surveys that 20, 25% of our employees would not continue working for us as much as we love them and they love us if, they, if, they, if we demanded that, that they be vaccinated. Okay, so you think, okay, well, you know, no big deal. You can replace people. It's no problem. Well, no, it is a big problem. These people are like family to us as, as small businesses across the country. They create a great atmosphere. You have, a, you have a great family environment. And when you fire people because they decide they don't want to take a vaccine, uh, that, that culture goes by the wayside. And so it's not just those, let's say, the 20, 25% that leave because of that. It's usually, in, in our case, it's some of the most independent-minded leadership people that are going to leave because they can find jobs easy. But what they leave behind is a, is a business with a big hole in it and you, that can't serve their customers anymore. So what happens? You end up laying off a lot more people to downsize so you can serve your customers to whatever extent you can. So here, it's a domino effect that starts with uh, you know, 20, 25% people, people leaving. It goes to 40, 30, 40%, in my opinion, would be in our businesses. And then after that, guess what? We can't supply our customers the products we always do. So the p- supply chain for us is messed up and across the country will be messed up. In the long run, it's the working families that, that, that we have to let go and that's the working families that pay the, the, the inflation that, that's going to be escalated even more than it is now. And as you may know, we've got the highest inflation in, our, in, in the last 40, 45 years right now. Gary, I'm going to make some generalizations that I may get criticized for, uh, b- but I believe it. My father was a small business owner and uh, in the inner city of Indianapolis most of, if not all of my life. And what you're talking about is there is a type of employee or type of person that believes they are responsible for themselves and they want to be in control of their situation. They want to self-determine. Those tend to be your best employees. And so people with that mindset a lot of times where people is like, well, hold on, I don't know if I really want to take a vaccine. I actually want to diet, exercise, take the right vitamin regimen. I'm not, I'm a little skeptical of the mandate. And so I do think you run off, you risk the chance of running off some of your best self-motivated employees. And then I think people that don't own businesses don't understand that that replacement employee may not be as good and is likely not going to be as good or he would have already had the job or she would have already had the job. And so it's just, oh, I'm going to lose 25 percent. You can just replace them. Well, not if they're really good employees. I just think a lot of people don't understand how to make a small business and grow it and what type of employees you need in order to grow a business like that, where you have a lot of experience in that regard. 
So, yeah, Jason, I, I'm running because, uh, you know, small businesses are being crushed in our state. That was the original reason. Now, we got a lot of other reasons to run on when it comes, it comes to the violence and the terrible education system in our state. But I got to tell you, I, we started our, I started my first business at 18 years old out of, out of high, high school, uh, partnered with my dad for some time, and then went, went, you know, bought my dad out and continued to grow. But we've created thousands of jobs in this great country and, and dozens of companies, small businesses starting from, from, from nothing into nice little mid-sized, small and mid-sized businesses. The only way you grow a small business is you better create an amazing culture, a culture where people feel like you're, you're part of a family. People can be independent minded. And for us to grow the dozens of companies we've grown over the last 40 years, we create an atmosphere of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial minds. And that means they have to be independent minded. They're always thinking about our customers first. And those type of people are not going to be part of an organization where you're being told you must get a vaccination. You know, you must do anything for your, for your own, for their own health. I mean, we're, we uh, we would never do that to our teammates, and that's why we filed this lawsuit, and and that's why we got on board with with our our, our my my partners at Job Creators Network and these other CEOs to do this. Um, it, it's just not happening in the Rayvine Group of companies, and it should not happen in any company in America. Do you think this fight is over? That this Supreme Court decision yesterday kind of settles it, and you can relax. Boy, you know what? Tyranny does not rest, Jason. I tell you. Um, you know, our, our fine governor, the, the failed governor, J.B. Pritzker, we have met with the president right about the time this hearing was going on, knowing, in my opinion, that it was going to it was going to get knocked down. There's, they, you know, Biden started talking about the states need to take control of these things right after after he knew that he was going to lose this, in my opinion. But either way, they met at O'Hare Airport about the about the time of this, this hearing. And, and out of that meeting, it was publicized that J.B. was going to put a a. a uh, a, a law in place, and it was not, not going to be OSHA uh, mandated. It was going to be labor, labor department mandated, and he was com- committed to doing that in that in that meeting before this answer. Before this, uh, this uh, we won this. Okay, this is last about a week ago. All right. Well, that he he put a hold on that for now. But again, tyranny doesn't rest. These people they believe that 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 you know that they're right always, and they believe that a socialist environment is what we need in America. We know they're wrong. You and I know they're wrong, and 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 free you know freedom loving individuals like us know they're wrong. Only way we, we survive as this free country is not to allow tyranny to exist. Unfortunately, we got a lot of it going on, and in, in states like ours, Illinois and, and New York, California, uh, they really believe that 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 tyranny is alive and well. So. We know that they're, they're, they're most likely to come up with something we're gonna have to fight again. But this is a great uh, beacon to look at, to say the Supreme Court struck this down. So guess what? Try it in our city, try it in our state, we're coming after you. Uh, Gary, I gotta ask this question. If my memory serves me well, isn't there a tradition of Illinois governors going to prison? Why, why would you want this job? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I want this job because I don't really, I don't need another job, right? I, I have a bunch of these 13, 13 little businesses here that we run and my, my team members, my leaders run these businesses. I, I, I wanna do this for two terms and I wanna go back to business again because I love building jobs and building businesses. Um, and, and not needing this job, I 100% cannot be bought. 100%, I'm a common sense guy. I, I, I didn't go to college. I, I started working right out of high school. My common sense, it's been built through the College of Hard Knocks um, I, I believe is strong, very strong, and I'm confident that it's leadership like like mine that we need to we need to inspire. We need to inspire business people, small business people, to jump into the game of politics. As, as, as dirty as it is, and as much as we don't we don't uh, love what politics looks like, 
We need good people with common sense that can't be bought to run an office across our country. And my, my goal is to inspire others to do the same. All right, so Gary, at the beginning of this, you left out the greatest thing that Indiana ever stole from Illinois. His name was Isaiah Thomas. He took the Indiana Hoosiers to the national championship. That was our greatest theft. And, and what it really speaks to is like, when you develop something great in Illinois, in order for it to fully blossom, it must go to Indiana. Yeah, well, you know what? We're sick of being the farm club, buddy. And, and when I win as governor, we're, not, we're no longer going to be the – we're going to be the major leagues where we create jobs. Right now, right now, Jason, jobs start here. Businesses start here, right? We've got this entrepreneurial engine in Chicago and technology. It's, it, it, you know, Jay, our, our failed governor will talk about this, right? But what you'll notice is once they're profitable, they're out of here. They're, 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 they're in Indiana. They're in Tennessee or, or Florida or Texas once they make money. So, I mean, we're the farm club right now, and I'm, and I'm sick of it. Thank you so much for the time. Congratulations on your great victory. You did the country a great service. All right, you guys go to, you guys go to shopblazemedia.com slash fearless and get your fearless swag. Uh, we got great hats, T-shirts, hoodies. You've been seeing Uncle Jimmy wear them every day. I need you to go to shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Get you some of this fearless army swag. All right, Uncle Jimmy uh, is just around the corner and we'll have a uh, approval rating on Dave Cully. And of course, Jimmy will be here to tell me what a terrible job I did today. Although, as you guys know, I did a great job. All right, all that and more. Nerds. Welcome back. Uh, a fabulous uh, Friday, fearless. Fabulous Friday, fearless, where I was fantastic. Wouldn't you agree? You gotta be out of your. Never mind. Effing mind, huh? I didn't you say found that. your F word, huh? <laughs> I'd, you could have said freaking. You could have out of your freaking mind. I'd, so you're giving me an F is what you're saying. No, no. Dude, I can't. No. I, 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 enough of fat jokes. I ain't going to just keep on giving you Fs. <laughs> Come on, man. Stop it. <laughs> honestly, honestly, serious business. Today was a great show. And if I had to give you, if I could describe your performance today in one word, bro. Honestly. Heavy. <laughs> you was heavy today, man. Now, Delano and I did get heavy. That's true. Uh, but you know what? I don't know about Delano, but you damn sure carried your weight. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my monologue was much heavier than I anticipated. I'll say that. You, you, got, you, you got a little. It, it, was a, it, it was a little uncomfortable watching you. You got a little juicy. You got good. <laughs> Seriously, you did a good job, though. Uh, anybody else? That, uh, uh, our, our guy. What, what, what's the congressman's name? Congressman, he's running for governor. Governor, Gary Raybon, he's the serial entrepreneur running for governor. Hey man, honestly, I, I, I enjoyed watching that. I love listening, and we really need more of that. We need more people like that because if you don't, if that guy doesn't do what he does, if he doesn't do what he did, we could be in trouble here as a country, considering what our government tried to make us do with that vaccine. 
I mean, seriously. I mean, that's I think, coming from someone who's had the serious level of COVID. And, and can I tell you this? By me having COVID, one thing I've learned that a lot of people don't know is by me having COVID, I have what's called the antibodies. But if you've listened to people talk, the problem ain't what you already have. The problem is after they make me get the jab. See, if they come up and make you get the jab oh, after having it, Jim, that's, that's you get a problem. That's misinformation. That's why 270 scientific doctors are going after Joe Rogan and trying to get him deplatformed because, oh, my God, you've stated an un-government-approved opinion about what would happen after the jab. You, know, you got to be very careful. You could get us banned. You could get us, you know, 270 doctors may write a letter calling for me to go on a diet. <laughs> okay, let's keep going, man. Let's, just, uh, let's get on Steve Kim, man. Yeah, what? Steve Kim's my guy. What, what did you think about his performance? I thought it was great. It went longer than I anticipated because he was so good. I actually, no, I didn't, I didn't, honestly, I didn't hear one word Steve said. All I heard Steve say was, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win 64-4. to four. And that's the only thing I heard him say. Uh, which brings me to this question that I'd just like to ask you, because I know that you've, you're born again. You know, you've been blessed and you no longer have those sinful ways of life. But if you were in your ways like you used to, would you go down, would you place a bet on the Kansas City Chiefs covering the 12-point spread? No, I would not. Uh, and that, that's walk off from here, man. Look, I would no because look, I think the Chiefs are going to win, but I think they're going to make us sweat it out as they tend to do, and and you know wouldn't be surprised if they won thirty-eight to twelve, but also wouldn't be surprised if they won twenty-eight to twenty-four. You're disrespectful, man. Seriously, honestly, I, I disagree with you. T.J. Watt. Could get three sacks. DJ Walker pull a hamstring and not even make it out of warm-ups. I don't want to hear that, man. <laughs> Honestly. Um, your boy Delano, money as usual, man. And I can't even crack any jokes about what he had to say because Delano just... And honestly, you know, we talk about the prison system and, you know, we have murderers and they, they, they do this. You know the worst thing you can go to prison for? Pedophilia. Being... You, you know what they call you? You know what they call those in prison? They call them chomos. Child molesters. molesters. And, bro, when you get that tag put on you, that's the tag you do not want. I mean, so in other words, I'm saying imagine how horrible, you know, prison is our most horrible people. I mean, our most, but now even to them. Because, no, no, they've been chomoed, probably. That's That's why they're so hard on child molesters. You know. And the one thing that he said that was just, I mean, dead money, he said that the most dangerous place for kids, and I see, I, he said little girls, I'm adding kids, because little girls and boys, the most dangerous place for them is at home with mom's new boyfriend. Especially during what? This lockdown. Very, yeah, I thought, we're gonna have to follow up on that discussion, uh, because there's a lot more I wanted to say and I liked my little LGBTQ oh, yeah. plus the P is for pedophilia. Uh, I got more. You know, we may do that next Wednesday with the ministers. All right, uh, let's, let's go. go to our approval rating. Let's go. A former uh, Houston Texans head coach, uh, David Culley. Uh, job performance. I'm, they won 14, four games this year. I think they went four and 13. 
it's pretty much, I think they won four games the year before, but he had to play all year without uh, Deshaun Watson, so I can't give him a zero. I know he's out of work, so I'm going to give him a 10. What's the key word in that sentence, Jason? Job performer. Job is the key word. Does he have a job? Not, not at the moment. Zero. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Character, I kind of like the dude. I like his narrative. He's from Tennessee. I think he's handled getting fired well. I think he's a high-character person. I give him a 22. I think he's a good dude. I mean, honestly, man. I, I think that he's, man, he's just that black guy that you see on the news that gets fired and he looks like this. <laughs> what I do? <laughs> I didn't do nothing to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, authenticity, I think he kept it pretty real as best he could, so I don't know him that well, so I'd give him a 19 in authenticity. Hey man, he, this guy is actually, I don't know where he was or not, this dude is what they call a homeboy. He's a Tennessee boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's, he's the first black quarterback for Vanderbilt. Okay. To play it better, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. So you, you know, come on, man. You gotta, you gotta give him something for that. You, you, you gotta give him. You can't get much more authentic than that, right? Uh, it factor, I just don't see much it there. Uh, not that charismatic. I gave him a two in it factor. Hey, man, let me tell you something. If they keep it up, you're going to have folks out here protesting outside of NFL stadiums talking about black jobs matter. Black jobs matter. <laughs> you know what they're going to say? Yeah, we got a bunch of DBs <laughs> that have jobs. <laughs> no white boys having jobs. Bitch about that. <laughs> Mayor, please take us home. <laughs> I, I, we both got him. I got him at a dump. We both got him at dumpster fire. I got him candlelit. You got him at a dumpster fire. 53 and 40. All right. Uh, man, I love Fridays. Good NFL games on Saturday. Even though I tell you, I'm trying to kick my NFL habit because I, I, these damn commercials are driving me crazy. Did I tell you, you know, I've had steak the past two days. Good steak. Hopefully I'm going to fast Saturday and Sunday. Jason. What? You can't eat first and then fast. That's not how that works. I said Saturday and enjoy Sunday. Three days of steak and be like, Lord, I think I need to fast. Because I do. I, I need to. It was a sin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to go. All right, bro. I just want, I want to 